So, my name is Jack, if we haven't officially met, and if this is your first time here, we're so glad you joined us this morning, and if uh, we can answer any questions for you, uh, don't hesitate to ask our staff, or uh, we're just so thrilled that you uh, chose to be with us this morning. We've been in a series called Making Great Decisions, and uh, in the first week, we talked uh, about the best question ever, and just kind of using that as a filter to, to press all of our decisions through. And, and the best question ever is, is this the wise thing for me to do? And then the, the second week we heard from uh, a board member, Ryan Yoder, and he talked about living on purpose. And uh, if you haven't seen that, get online and watch that. It was, a, it was a really great talk. And then last week we had an assignment. Do you remember what the assignment was? Twice a day you were to do what? Okay, we're just gonna redo the talk. Get, get my notes from last week. Let's redo the talk. Ask for wisdom. Yes, like, like Solomon did. Twice a day, ask for wisdom. And um, I've been trying to do that, ask specific situations. Um, last night, we were just out in the front yard and uh, a lady drove by and she lives in our neighborhood and she was in tears and she said, have you seen my white fluffy dog? She was talking to Wendy, have you seen my white fluffy dog? And she was just totally distraught. And Wendy said, we haven't, we'll keep an eye out, but, but let's just pray. Let me pray for your dog. And so Wendy prayed for her. And then I was leaving to go someplace and I saw her driving back up yelling, hey lady, hey lady. And apparently the prayer worked and she came back to tell Wendy that um, they had found the dog. And so you can pray for anything and... God always hears our, our prayer. Well, today I wanna to talk about having a plan when it comes to making wise choices, pre-deciding how you're going to respond and react and what you're going to do um, in some areas uh, of, of life. Uh, don't wait to decide. Things like, how do I wanna be remembered? Uh, do I wanna leave you know, a, a legacy? Um, you know, what do I wanna be known for? What do I want my relationships to, to look like? Um, you know, long before we broke ground on this building, there were piles and piles of plans, of blueprints, down to the inch of where everything would be and how everything would interact. And um, a lot of times we run through life just kind of like, whatever, you know, whatever. And so I think that if we're gonna be wise and make great decisions, we need a plan. Some of you who are parents, way before you even had kids, you had an idea, you had a bit of a plan of, of how you were gonna raise them and what some of your family dynamics would look like, some things you would do and some things you would never do, um, plans around faith. Uh, I remember meet, meeting a family a few years ago and they were having their first and I remember they made a, a really strong declaration. We will never let our kids watch videos as a, as a babysitting tactic. And then I saw them about three years later and they had piles of videos and their kids were watching videos. And so, you know, it was like, it's the only time we get peace to ourselves. Um, but they had a plan. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes you have to punt, right? But they did have a, they did have a plan. <coughs> so um, the first area that I want to talk about is how we spend our time. How we spend our time. How we spend our time with others, how, how we spend our time just in general. Um, if you're here for Ryan's talk, I mentioned this last week, but a lot of his older clients as they get closer to retirement, they're not so concerned about uh, money, they're more concerned about time and, and having more time to do things. And 
Um, so I think we need to predecide how we're going to use our, our time. I found this little obscure kind of verse in the Bible, and I, I can't take credit for it. I have to give Brian Anderson. He's the vineyard pastor in North Phoenix. I heard him talk about this one time. And it's from Nehemiah chapter 3. And if you remember, Nehemiah was called to rebuild the wall. And the plan was to have different section leaders and different families take a section of the wall and work on it. And there's this one guy in Nehemiah 3.12. And if you look at the, chap the whole chapter 3, I'm not going to read it, but every person's listed and the, the section of the wall they worked on. And it's all men and their sons. Men and their sons. Men and their sons. And then there's this guy um, named Halohesh, and it says he was ruler of a half district of Jerusalem. He repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. And I just love that. Because at some point he predecided, look, you know, in our culture, girls don't do this sort of thing, but I'm taking my daughters to work. Like this was the first take your kids to work day. And they, they worked on that wall together. And I can just imagine, you know, years later, you know, maybe, the, you know, the grandkids are having a picnic there and they're like, you know, this is the part that, that we built with your grandpa, you know? This is a special part of the wall. So somewhere he predecided that, look, I'm gonna spend my time investing in my daughters and kind of bucking the system culturally. Uh, there's another guy I was reminded of in the Bible, and his name is um, uh, Philip. He's known as Philip the Evangelist. And if you look at Acts 21.8, it, uh, it says that Philip, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, in his culture, you know, he could have just been like, man, I'm, I'm not even going to invest in these daughters. I'm going to wait till I get some, you know, some guys. But he chose to, to invest in these, these girls. And they, I mean, think about the family dynamics. You got four girls who are all have the gift of prophecy. And somewhere he cultivated that in them. And some people believe that they were leaders in the early church. And so, I know this is kind of a weird little twist on time, but I feel like both of these guys predecided that they're going to spend their time in a way that could leave a legacy and that could, that could matter. One of the problems we have is, is there's a lot of time robbers out there, isn't there? A lot of time bandits. Uh, I emailed my staff last week and said, hey, for my talk, send me some of your, I mean, just time bandits and time robbers that you see out there. And, and they wanted me to make sure I qualified this, that these aren't things that they all do or struggle with. They're just some they've observed, okay? So uh, around, the, uh, around the idea of worry, anybody lose some time over worry? A few nights sleep, weeks, you know, you're just worrying. Uh, they, they put worry for kids, money, relationships, jobs, the future, what others think, um, TV binge-watching, Netflix, uh, taking up another's offense. Do you know what that is? You, you, so, someone, a friend of yours gets offended by somebody, and then you take up that offense, and you spend a whole bunch of energy and time, and it's not even your offense. Uh, in court, they call that hearsay. It's, it's inadmissible. And so, but we do it all the time, don't we? Um, they put down fear, and then they put the other F word, Facebook. How many times are you just, you're trying to answer someone's text or something and all of a sudden you're on Facebook 
And you're like, how did I even get here? You know? And then it's been an hour. They put daydreaming, fantasizing, lying or keeping secrets, living a double life, cheating, having an affair, striving for perfection, you know, areas where it, it's good enough, but you just keep, you know, because of your personality, you just keep redoing it and reworking it, re-rendering it. Office gossip. Now, my staff is part-time, so I'm sure that their office gossip is at their other job. It's not here at our job. Uh, rescuing or solving others' problems. Video games. That's not just for kids anymore. A lot of adults spend a lot of time playing video games. Toxic relationships, looking at porn, gambling, um, procrastination. And then one of my staff put yard work. So I guess <laughs> yard work does have to be done, though, but I guess it is a time, a time robber. Um, number two, we need to pre-decide and have a plan for how we're going to live um, our values and integrity. Values and integrity. Uh, financial integrity, how you're going to spend your money, um, how much debt you're going to have, your savings, um, retirement, how generous you're going to be. Tithing, you have to pre-decide. Um, people who tithe on a regular basis and support kingdom stuff, they pre-decide. They don't just like, well, you know, whatever, when, when I feel it, you know, they pre-decide. Uh, we need to decide things in advance. We need to decide things around our spiritual integrity in advance. There's a guy in the Bible named Joseph. Let me read you his story. It's a cool story. Um, it's like a Netflix show right here. Genesis 39, now, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, this guy's pretty important, uh, he, he bought him, so he was a slave, Pharaoh, from the Ishmaelites um, who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his entire household, and he entrusted him uh, with everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of the household, and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the e Egyptian because of Joseph. So this guy Potiphar is a pretty smart dude, isn't he? He's like, God's not blessing me. I don't know your God, but man, he's blessing you, so you're in charge. And it says that the only thing this guy thought about or even was what he ate, the food he ate. That's all he dealt with. He let, he let Joseph take care of everything else. And then it says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. I can relate. Because I get that, you know, I get that a lot. <laughs> Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. That's a pretty direct approach, isn't it? Come to bed with me. But he refused. He said, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she, I just caught this for the first time, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, every day, come to bed with me. This wasn't like a one-time event. Every day, come to bed with me. Every day, he refused to go to bed with her or even 
be with her. So he made a wise decision, didn't he? That I, I need to start a, avoiding this lady. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think Joseph decided this in the moment? I don't think so. I think somewhere in his life, he had predecided that when a temptation like this comes, I know how I'm gonna respond. I have a plan. In the backseat of a car is not the time to have a plan. You need to predecide certain things, how you're gonna respond and react to temptation when it comes. Number two, or number three, make a plan for spiritual transformation. Make a plan for spiritual transformation. You know, when we start following Jesus, he meets us where we are, but he expects us to, to grow spiritually and to look more like him. And a lot of what we do is just habit, isn't it? Most of our lives are governed by habits. Most of what we do are out of habit when we wake up, when we eat, when we brush our teeth. Uh, we just operate out of habit. Habits are how we think and feel and act and react and talk. And they're, they're just embedded in our minds. They've become routine. And operating out of habit is a good thing. I mean, God put this in us to operate of out, out of habit. But when, when sin enters into our habits, then, then we're in trouble. And we can't overcome poor habits, in my opinion, by willpower alone. We need God's transformational power in our lives. How many times have you predetermined what you're gonna eat for the day? You know, you're trying to be healthy, you're gonna stay away from sugar or this or that or bread, and then someone slaps a big old pizza in front of you. And you, you don't even think about it if you're like me. You're halfway through it and go, oh wait, I wasn't gonna eat this today, you know? It's hard to change our habits. The Apostle Paul put it like this, and I don't know why I don't have the reference, but whatever it is, it's verse 15. I don't really understand myself, for what I want to do is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. This is the Apostle Paul. And then verse 24, oh, what a miserable person I am. And that's where a lot of times we end up when we're trying to just change by willpower alone. And what is he, he gives us a little tip into how to do this. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Willpower alone will not change long time embedded habits. Wise people use the power of God. They leverage the power of God to change and they let God transform them. The guy who wrote the manual, the God who wired you and thought you up, knows you inside out. Wise people understand that we have to change from the, out, the inside, not the outside. In Mark, Jesus talks about how nothing that, that comes into a man can defile him. It's the stuff that comes out of a man. It comes from the inside. Romans 12 puts it this way, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's that spiritual transformation. Renewing your mind. 
changing habits of how we live, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God has a good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life. But sometimes these bad habits, they get in the way of what he has for us. So Paul's saying, look, we've got to renew, we've got to renew our minds. Someone addicted to alcohol needs more than just willpower to change. And if you look at any 12-step program, there is a lot of stuff in there that, you know, is like God's stuff. I mean, I didn't have time to, to break it down for you, but I could show you like a verse for every 12-step program thing. And um, th- there's a guy right now called Johan Hari, I think is how you <coughs> say his name. He's a writer and a journalist. And he's got a TED Talk out there that's, that's flying around. And it's pretty popular. And I watched it this week. I don't agree with everything that's in it, but you should check it out. But he cites an experiment. He, he, he was a guy who had a lot of a, addiction in his family. And he just loved his family members so much, he wanted to find out, how can I help my, my, my family? And um, he started to do some research on his own, and he found this, um, this experiment that had been done with, with rats. And they would take a single rat and put him in a cage and, and put cocaine, I think it was cocaine-laced water, and the rat would drink it, get addicted, and die pretty quick. But when they put all the rats in a little rat community, and they had food, and they had friends, and and all the things that rats like, I don't know what rats like, but I'm sure it was creepy stuff, but all the stuff rats like, (laughs) it kind of breaks down, doesn't it? Um, They put the good water, regular water in there, and then they put the cocaine-laced water, and a very low percentage of the rats chose and got addicted to the the cocaine-laced water. Isn't that interesting? And his point is that there's something very powerful about community. There's something very powerful about, about a change and habits that comes with community. We have it built in. Like God built this in to us, but we need to lean on each other and, and we need to be authentic with each other. And we need to, you know, we need to notice when each other are, are struggling and, and having a hard time. Um, and, and we need to let people know, like, these are the things that, that, that I want to, you know, I want to achieve in my life. This is the legacy I want to I leave. Uh, these are the things I struggle with and I, and I need to do better. Help me. He, he said the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. He said the opposite of addiction is connection. And I love that. And I think when we connect authentically to a powerful God and we connect authentically to the body of Christ, we can change. We can change anything. And so that's, that's kind of what we're, we're talking. I mean, the truth is we're all in recovery at some level. The gospel is a huge recovery story. You know, when a ship goes down and it's got valuables on it, they send divers down to get those valuables. But if a ship goes down, there's nothing valuable on it, just leave it at the bottom of the ocean. Jesus came, he said, to seek and save that which was lost. And that's you. And so... We're all in this thing together. You are incredibly valuable to him. But sometimes we need to, we need to let, spend less time, in my opinion, just trying really hard to change, just trying, and more time connecting with the power of a living God and the power that flows through our brothers and sisters. You can't tell now, but in, in high school, I had a weightlifting buddy. And uh, 
I mean, we would make goals together. And we'd get up at four in the morning, three days a week, and, and we'd lift, and we'd eat right together. And, and we, you know, I don't think we had texting back then, but we'd, we'd ask each other, how you doing? And, uh, and we did really well in, in community together. I, I accomplished things I, I could never have accomplished by myself. And then out of that, I learned how to do it by myself. Isn't that interesting? I mean, obviously, I haven't been doing it for a while, but there was a time. So, how do we position ourselves for life transformation? How do we do that? What are, the, what are the practical things that we do? Well, congratulations, you're doing it right now. Just being here on a Sunday morning and, and worshiping God and listening to truth and interacting with your brothers and sisters and those little conversations that you guys had at break and the little conversations you're going to have afterwards. And, and when you said, hey, how are you doing with that thing that I prayed for you last week? Hey, can we meet for coffee this week and, and, and talk a little bit more? That's training for life transformation. <coughs> Praying, small groups, you know, connection training. Um, you think about it, when you're really in crisis, when things just really go bad, who do you call? You don't, you don't call your, you know, Twitter followers. You, you call the people that you're relationally connected with. Those are the people when it comes down to it. And what begins to happen is our habits begin to change. Our desires begin to change. When I was in, um, when I was in high school, I would watch, like, really scary movies, like, Jason, what was that, with the hockey mask, like number six. I mean, just really horror movies. And when I got to, to Bible college, I felt like God said, you know, you need to stop doing that. And I did. And I don't even have a desire anymore, like, to watch a horror movie. It just doesn't even flip my switch anymore. But I had to make a conscious change. And I had to decide, I'm going to stop doing that. And so what happens is, as Paul talks about, our minds begin to be renewed. Our habits start to change. How we think, how we talk, how we see others, how we view sexuality. Because that's a big one in our, in our culture. And how we view and use our time begins to change. So have you pre-decided to position yourself relationally for transformation? It comes through serving in the kingdom with others. You're not just serving to serve. You're not just serving to fill a slot. When you're serving and you're, you're praying for other people and you're seeing God show up and do stuff, that's when life transformation happens. And so we need to predecide what we want our life to look like with God. What do I want to look like in three years? Do I want to look the same spiritually or do I want to look more like Jesus? What do I want to look like in 10 years? Do I want to look the same? Or do I want to look like someone who's being renewed day by day?